Hi there, Christian Buddhist Bar listeners. Uh, this is Jamal speaking, uh, the Buddhist. I have an apology to make. Um, and look, this is something I'm deeply ashamed about. I, I don't want to make any bones about this. Um, I have behaved in a really unacceptable way. I have uh, potentially offended and hurt some people. I have let down uh, my fans. I've let down my teammates. I've let down my partner. I've let down my greyhound barreled bolt. I have really gone across the line in a way that I really shouldn't have. And and look, I I can make excuses. I can explain myself, but look, none of that actually matters. What matters is that I'm sorry. Um, in the episode you're about to hear, I repeat a joke that I have previously made. Um, this, this, this is not okay behavior. And this is something that I have reflected deeply on. And I, I promise dear listeners to do better and I will be better. And all I can ask is for your forgiveness. Um, thank you. And please enjoy the episode. Once again, to a Christian and a Buddhist walk to a bar. My name is Jamal. I'm a Buddhist. And I'm Jacob. I'm a Christian. Uh, how are you doing, Jacob? Uh, it's been a little while since we've sat down to do one of these. How you, how's it been? I, I'm tired You're this tired. afternoon. It's it's just gone afternoon. Haven't had lunch yet. Have a yeah. cup of tea. That'll yeah. probably help. A little it, bit of caffeine. It, it is Christmas tea as well, which I, I specifically chose to thematically give to you. Um, so, you know, it's not Christmas uh, but you know you are a Christian and you're the most Christmassy person I know. So oh, oh, I think I think I'll take that as a compliment. Oh, is Christmas like bubbling with joy and cheer? And exactly, all of that. <laughs> goodwill towards humanity. There's a monk I know that, um, that does um, celebrate Buddhas. Okay. Uh, and it's just this idea that it's like, well, it's a cultural tradition. We want to celebrate it anyway, but also uh, I don't want to celebrate Jesus, so I'll celebrate Buddhas. No, that. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, Checks out. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that is not what we're talking about today, although I think is a future episode. Christmas special. The Christmas special. The Christmas Buddhist special. Today, Jacob, I have got an article for you. Uh, now, this is an article by uh, a uh, priest called Rod Bauer. Now, firstly, a question Have you ever heard of the term moral injury? I actually I hadn't until I read this piece, which I. I probably should have, um, given the way that Rod presents it here, and I did a little bit of Googling mm. afterwards, yeah. So, all right, so let's pretend you haven't done some Googling, but what, okay. what would you think moral injury would be uh, just having hearing those two words together? Well, and I mean, it, it sounds essentially like an injury to your morals, right? Like something that's knocked your moral compass off kilter um, or it affected the way that you, you see your being in the world. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and and that's pretty much right. So uh, Rod Bauer is writing this article in uh, the wake of the recent 2022 uh, federal Australian election and talking about uh, an exploration he's done of the concept of moral injury uh, really since the last election in 2019. Um, uh, he goes back even further, though, as well. He does, he, yeah. yes, he absolutely It's not just a pot shot at one particular 
government. No, that's absolutely correct. Um, but um, yeah, as as we will get to, Father Rod Bauer is a particularly political uh, religious figure. But um, but he defines moral injury as um, so. It's a term that came just after the Vietnam War, and uh, there's a there's a quote here that says, "Moral injury is present when there has been a betrayal of what's right, either by a person in legitimate authority." Or by oneself in a high stakes situation. Um, so I guess there are a couple of angles to this, as, as far as I've read through. And so there is this idea that an individual can um, do something against their own sense of morals, and that that leads to a kind of psychological injury. Well, and we kind of see that, like that's the classic um, tram dilemma, right? The, like the, with the switch, the, the trolley yeah, problem. That's yes, the one. Yes, uh, tr- many trolleys and many cars. Uh, yes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and so, you know, things like, um, you know, soldiers coming back from war and feeling, uh, you know, various levels of psychological distress around that and, and that kind of thing. So there's the individual culpability, but, uh, but where Rod Bauer takes this is this idea that it can also be something that applies on a societal level. And so that by participating in a society that has performed actions that are unjust or immoral, you are potentially incurring a moral injury and that has a very tangible feeling and a very um a very particular thing that is difficult to understand and work through and it kind of needs focused attention and remedy so i mean what are your thoughts on that well i i a lot of what he was writing about here kind of just seems to make intuitive sense to me right like so he talks about um the terra nullius, the, the founding myth of white colonisation, settlement, invasion, delete as appropriate in Australia, um, ab- about how that um, is, is kind of a foundational moral injury in this country, um, which then shapes a whole lot of, I, I guess, culture and kind of and, and reaction to that, that that is carried in the institutions and in social structures and, and all of the rest of it. And and that, to me, that made a lot of sense. Um, but I guess my, my my question around the concept is, is almost like whose morals and which morals and when. And if, if we look at this as a, if something like terra nullius, um, if that is a moral injury that we're carrying today, do, do we feel that in a particular way because of our social location and because of the way that we perceive morals in 2022 in Australia in a different way to how it would have been perceived in 1922 or in 1860, 1880? Or would you argue that if something is morally injurious, that it always is? Um, And the question is just to what degree you're aware of it. Yeah, and I think um, uh, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I um, it, it's an interesting one for me because when when you speak about that, I I I always come back to this kind of this central tenet of relativism versus universalism. Yeah, right? and, totally. And that that's the the question, right? Is you know, there's absolutely a sense, and you can see that sense of incurring a moral injury where actions taken by yourself or by uh, leadership of um of you know, organizations you're part of or states you're part of can really, you know, if they're flying against the models that are existent in that society, there's a clear one-to-one, right? But, yeah, where does the historical concept come in, right? You know, slavery, terra nullius, all these various things, which 
were not considered immoral at the time that they occurred. But from our modern perspective, we look back and we go, yes, absolutely, they were immoral, immoral from the morality mm. that we hold now. Um, and is there a historical moral injury that you can incur, right? And I think this is interesting. I think um, uh, Father Bauer talks in this article around um, Kevin Rudd's apology to the Stolen Generations, and I think that was a really interesting thing that I saw in that period of time with the the kind of the political debate between uh, you know, former Prime Minister John Howard, whose big stance was, well, we haven't done this, therefore we shouldn't have anything to apologise for. And then, you know, when Kevin Rudd got in, the, the stance shifted to, well, okay, we still need to apologise for the wrongs of the, the institutions of the past mm-hmm. from our present stance. And, yeah, it's a really interesting question there as to, you know, how much... This is a question of culpability. How much culpability and responsibility do you take for the actions of people who lived and died significantly earlier than you and who had very different moral codes? But also, um, you know, how much damage can that cause an individual to, to understand that their previous generations have done those kinds of things? There's an aspect... Is it okay if I take us back just Please, a, yeah. a little step? Because when you're talking about the, um, I guess, the, the institutions and do that, does that line up with my personal morals and the morals of society, which obviously nobody perfectly embodies the morals of society. But, you know, th- this is really where conscious, conscientious objection comes into things as well, right? So it's like military service in the Second World War, if you're a um, if you're an Anabaptist or a Mennonite or like those, those kind of positions where your individual morality is clearly quite out of step with the institutional and the social morality um, which does raise the question to, to what extent can we talk about moral injury from a, a social, mm-hmm. like a, a whole of society perspective. Um, the, the interesting thing um, in Rod Bauer's piece is he talks about Kevin Rudd and the apology to the stolen generations, but then he says that that meant that uh, in 2013, when the then Labor government was desperately trying to stay in government um, and enacted... Uh, harsh refugee policies that they'd previously unwound. He said that um, the fact that there was a stolen generation apology and all of that made the moral injury of their position on refugees in 2013 worse. Mm. But that's also like that's that's very much from his progressive particular perspective because there might be a lot of people in exactly the same society who would say, well, that's not you know, we're actually doing the right moral thing by setting particular incentives and, and so on. So it's, to what sense is it subjective or, or objective? Yeah, and, and one angle that he doesn't really take, which I was really surprised at, so, you know, he, he talks at the start around his role as a, as a Christian minister and, and what obligations he thinks that gives him, but he doesn't go down the line of talking about God's morality. Right? Yeah. And, and to me... From his position as a, as a Christian minister, that's the gimme, right? Like that, that is the easiest <laughs> argument to make, which is that well, this is a moral injury because it goes against God's morality, and he, he doesn't take that shot. And I think uh, I'm trying to work out whether that's a missed opportunity or whether that's him trying to stand on more kind of rationalist ground. But yeah, it's um, I'm interested in your take on that, right? Because you know we talk about relativism and universalism. Um, and there's the two sides of the table here, right? as the, the Buddhist relativist and the Christian universalist. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like, you know, is moral injury more of a 
reasonable concept from the perspective of, well, you're injured if you don't align with God's morality. Yes, absolutely. For for mine anyway, um, because that is like that's the objective standpoint of um, our, our action in the world, mm. and you know, Christian scripture and particularly the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well is pretty clear on this. Like you, you have all of these in the Psalms, these Jewish odes to God's law, and how wonderful and freeing and good God's law is because it gives kind of that balance, ballast to stand and act on. And, and the story of Israel is, in no small part, the story of Israel then turning against God's law and it not working out for them because they're not, to, to use a phrase, they're not living in harmony with the universe. They're not living kind of as the people that they've been created to be in relationship to the, the creator that they've been made to, to live with. And so moral injury in that sense is a, you're doing yourself a real harm by either individually or socially living out of kilter with the, the created reality. It, it's possibly um, the audience that he's writing to, and we might get to this in a future episode. So yeah, this, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't a Saturday paper, which is a Schwartz Media production and uh, particularly left-wing. Yes. Yeah, so it's particularly progressive, um, secular yeah. audience. Um, so whether he would have lost his readers had he gone down the track of God's morality, I'm, I'm not sure. But it, what's interesting, so he touches on his duties, as um, he says, as a human being, let alone a Christian priest. So it, there is that level of awareness there. But what particularly frustrated me um, is he's got a, a paragraph towards the end where he says, inevitably this manifestation of moral injury becomes endemic when a democratically elected leader begins to act out of the illusion that he has been called by his God rather than elected by the people. For that leader, accountability to the people and expectation of truthfulness becomes nothing more than a minor irritation. Power rather than service becomes a goal and moral in injury becomes systemic. And I can, to an extent, I can see how he gets to that point, but I also just really struggle to see how being accountable to God is less than being accountable to the people within this framework if one is a Christian leader. like Well, and see, I think I read that slightly differently. So I think, um, you know, I, I think, you know, to, to remove the curtain, he's very clearly here um, taking a shot at former Prime Minister Scott Morrison, who, sure. um, who is a member of... Uh, I don't know if it was Hillsong itself. He's, he's a Pentecostal. Pentecostal, yeah. yeah. Pentecostal, uh, you know, Pentecostal individual and um, had said multiple times that he felt like his role as Prime Minister was effectively anointed by God. Um, and so I think rather than saying... I, I, I don't know that he is saying that it is not uh, in line to serve God as opposed to serving an elected populace. I think what he's saying is that He's, he's having a go at this idea of the kind of prosperity doctrine of like, well, you know, God has chosen me, therefore the will of the people doesn't matter kind of thing. So I, I, I think it's a slightly different take where, you know, if if an individual does believe that they are anointed by God and that essentially their views have been validated by God uh, rather than, say, validating their views against 
an interpretation of, of the Bible or interpretation of what God would want. Um, I think he's concerned there that, um, that that what's going on is you know essentially a political in, a political leader who is responsive to the electorate, responsive to the people, suddenly shirks that responsibility because they have a belief that God has tapped them on the shoulder and said, you can do no wrong. Well, and, and as I said, like it, it might just be that this particular publication, the audience that he's writing to, but there's a whole wealth of strong theological arguments that you can draw upon in that respect, not least the, the kings of Israel, right, who are supposed to be the servants of the people. Um, and in the Christian tradition, we see that par excellence in Jesus, who um, says to his disciples, like the, the night before he dies, um, he says that, you know, that the, the kings and the rulers of the people lorded over them. Um, but it's not to be like this amongst you, because look here, I am your Lord and master, but I am serving you. Um, and that tradition of service leadership is incredibly strong in the Christian tradition. And there are chunks of biblical polemic against rulers who abandon their people um, and say, you know, oh, I'm just, I'm anointed by God, I can do whatever I want, essentially. Like that that's an unbiblical position. Um, and and so he's got resources there to draw on and he just, he doesn't go there. And so that, I don't know, maybe that's just my, my little frustration yeah, and I, I, th- I get that and i think maybe your assessment that it's the audience there right? i think he is trying to steer away from too much god talk in this you know yeah um because yeah i think you're probably right if the the good readers of the saturday paper read an article that is 30 percent about god they're just gonna maybe turn off it <laughs> well, yeah, the editor's not gonna put it in perhaps. exactly so, right yeah. Yeah. and maybe yeah. this was longer than the editor took it out you know? <laughs> um yeah I, I find that interesting and like i was listening to something else recently around that prosperity doctrine idea. And I, I guess I'm interested to hear your thoughts around that, right? This is a very kind of United States evangelical approach to Christianity that essentially says, well, you know, um, you know, if you are doing well, if you're well off, if you're, you know, uh, privileged in life, then that means you're a good person. Uh, and if you're poor, that means you've done something wrong. And it's this idea that, like, it's almost like this idea that God's rewards come to people uh, that, how do I say, oh, maybe the better way of saying it is that it's it's the just world theory, right? It's mm-hmm. that the, the world is just and right and in God's image exactly as it is. And so anything that might be questioned as not right is just a misinterpretation of what God wants. I don't know. Like, I'm interested to your thoughts. Well, and then this kind of ties back in to what we were talking about at the beginning of like that, those social wrongs because uh, certainly the way that you've just presented prosperity gospel like i i um i think it's a distortion of scripture and the christian story because it essentially um it, it makes god transactional right like if i do the good things god will bless me which is you know i, I would say that's kind of like a, a pagan thinking mm-hmm. almost um but it also um I forget precisely how you worded it, but like the, if, the, if the individual does something good, they'll get rewarded. If they do something bad, they, but um, it, it assumes that um, it, it's obvious mm-hmm. to all people what the right and good thing to do is. And there, there's two things that, that are going on in relation to that. The first is that um, I would say, the, the concept of the fall and the concept of sin is not just an individual 
problem, but it's a systemic societal problem. So it it affects all aspects of the world, but definitely social structures um, and institutions and, and everything else like that. They're inherently broken in some way. And so just by existing within them, you know, you can't do the good, perfect, pleasing things. And so everyone's kind of, we're all stuffed from the beginning in, in one sense from that, from that perspective, because it's not just about, well, what did I individually do wrong, but what systems and structures and uh, am I inhabiting and do they reflect God's will for the world or do they ref reflect the, the broken, power-hungry nature of humanity that created those systems and structures? Yeah, and I think this idea that the world is in, this idea that the world is inherently somewhat broken, I think is a really interesting one. You know, I think um, I I feel like that's something that a lot of people feel very uncomfortable about, right? And mm -hmm. you know, to kind of bring this back to the, the moral injury thing, yeah, you know, I think it's, it, it's almost like, you know, if you take it a step further, you can say, well, like moral injury is just the observation of the brokenness of the world, right? Like mm. that structures are always at odds with morality, right? I, 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 They're not as they should be. Yes, and, yeah. and I can't think of any, uh, at least not structures of state, that has ever, have ever been perfectly moral, right? Like mm. they, they all epitomize a particular value and importance at a certain period of time, but then you know, the, the tides of history come in and, and it changes. And this goes to what we were saying before around, like, morality shifting. I think that one of the biggest examples of that, you know, um, something I've never fully understood is the is the kind of the dogged persistence in the United States that a a state structure written in the 1700s is the most appropriate state <laughs> structure for the 21st century. It's I like, just love that their elections are on a Tuesday so farmers can go yeah, in on market day. Like, exactly yeah. right. It's just this whole thing that it's like, well, like, like, absolutely, I can completely see why for the 1700s that was absolutely the best way to run a state. But, you know, how do you how do you kind of hold on to that so rigorously and say, well, no, that's set and that's, you know, that's what we have to do. And, you know, that it's almost like that the modern world has to fit in with that idea rather than, than our structures fitting in with the modern world. And I think morality is the same on that. And I think the the social organizations and the, the the institutions of state that are willing to adapt and willing to shift their moral position. And, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of that at the moment with various movements around the world around um, decolonization mm -hmm. and around, um, you know, uh, treaties and apologies and um, the kind of the, the truth telling that's going on there. I think you, you see the strength in certain institutions to be able to say, well, yeah, you know what, you know, even if at the time that was perceived as the right thing to do, we recognise, and from our current stance it's not, and that doesn't give us, doesn't, you know, purge us of our responsibilities. Um, so, I, yeah. I would even say, like, it's not necessarily that from our current stance it's not. It, it, it was always wrong, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. we've got to the point where we realise that. Yeah. Okay. So, 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 what you're saying is that essentially we are we are constantly updating our awareness of what what the truth is or what the what the correct position is, and and through that, then shifting how we operate. Yeah. Yeah. We're constantly kind of like almost relearning or learning um, new things about what it means to be human and to inhabit this world. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and forgetting things 
yes. as well along the way. Um, and I can't think of any good example off the top of my head, but um, I'm quite sure that there are things that society and in fact, some people would argue this uh, around family, actually, that in our current Western culture, the idea of the, the nuclear family or actually even the extended family being an important unit of relationships and aspect of society um, is is really has been lost to individualism on a whole range of fronts. I'm not necessarily saying whether that's, I, I don't want to say that that's a good thing or a bad thing or anything like that, but you can look at that was really highly morally valued even 100, 200 years ago uh, and now is not. And there is an argument that says that that's something that we've lost in our um, living as humanity. Yeah, I um, I can't remember if I've already raised this on the podcast previously, but um, that's that, that's that's the central argument of Alan de Baton's religion for atheists, right? Um, so I don't think you have talked about it. No, so essentially, um, Alan de Baton, the the acclaimed uh, pop philosopher, as they call him, um, he has a book called Religion for Atheists, which I found quite influential, and it talks. A lot about this idea that it's like well in our secular humanist world and he's writing from the, the british perspective but you know in our secular humanist world we have lost so many of the really positive things that religion brings us and that essentially we, we need them back like he advocates for a, you know sunday worship services that just don't worship god right or that like you know uh the, the communal meals and, and these kinds of things right that he's like you know that religion formed a really strong social purpose historically and in our rush to move away from religiosity we have also left behind some of the very important communal aspects yeah and and there's a lot of religious people of various stripes would agree with him and that's actually um what some people seem to say western converts to islam um, say that within it they just they find those structures and that meaning that mm. they've they've lost within a, a western secular culture mm. so it's just it's interesting that there is at least some people are attracted to that that line of thought for sure now we have gone very much off topic uh, which is which is great <laughs> what we love to do here but yeah i think moral injury is a really interesting um it's a really interesting concept i think it's uh one that i'll probably sit with for a little bit and see how i feel going forward about it but yeah um yeah the, the, the bit that the bit that i'm wanting to unpack in my own head and I, i'm sure we'll come back to this at some other point but is this idea that you know the individual psychological harm done through the state you know and, and through actions of others and through actions of the community you're part of i think that's a really interesting kernel that i think i'll probably need to sit with for a little while and um and, and work through and then the question as well is that we, we don't have time to unpack now but i'll just i'll throw that out there is what do you um how, how do you solve mm. moral injury um and i think christianity in the person of jesus and his death for the sin of the world to me has a compelling answer to well, what do you do about that brokenness and the fact that our lived experience of life doesn't match up with what we feel it should be. Mm. Um, yeah, interesting. Mm. All right, so um, uh, I mentioned before communal meals, so mm. it reminded me of this week's joke. Oh, excellent, uh, yeah. good. Uh, so as always, uh, Christian... I've forgotten what, about the joke. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, never forget about the joke. 
Um, as always, a Christian and a Buddhist uh, walk into a bar and so, yeah, they, they, th- they think they'll get some food. Um, and yeah, they walk up to the bar and they're, they're making um, you know, burgers and it's like build your own burger and you just tell them what you want. Uh, and the Christian goes, oh, you know, I'll have a, a regular hamburger, please, and you know, get some, some onion and some cheese and that kind of stuff. And so he orders his burger. And the, the, the bartender says, turns to the Buddhist and goes, oh, what, what would you like? And the Buddhist is like, just make me one with everything. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so there you go. Um, Jacob, I think that is all we have time for this week. But this has been a very interesting conversation, and I'm sure we will, um, we will come back to many of the themes in this uh, frequently. But um, look... Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us uh, and have a chat about anything, we can be uh, emailed at christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com. And Jacob knows who does our music. That's right. Kevin McLeod does our music. So thank you, Kevin, for your royalty-free music that you put on the internet. We love it. <laughs> well, well done, Kevin. We will, um, we will send you, a, send you a, a bit of a Christmas tea maybe at some point. Sounds like a good plan. And right. we'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.